Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is uh, episode two of The Intelligent Developer, um, led by Andre Bueno and Gerard Delane. So how's it going, man? How you been? Been doing very well. Thank you for asking. How about yourself? I've been good. Been good. No complaints. No complaints. So today, I believe we want to talk about the office market for a little bit. And then we want to talk about this concept of 18 hour cities, 15 minute cities. Sounds good? Sounds great. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So let's start with the office market. Um, we're now, I think, on the backside of this pandemic situation. <laughs> I know we always say that, but I think we're close to the post pandemic world. What do you? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're starting to see the, you know, rhetoric even like at a at a government level starting to change. Um, early on in the pandemic, we saw a lot of these like senators and um, really governors really hunkering down, especially in like democratic run cities, um, being very very stringent on locking everything down. But now that we have a vaccine and people are getting vaccinated, especially the uh, the older population that's a lot more likely to, you know, show up and, and uh, I guess, congregate and complain, um, not necessarily congregate. Um, we're starting to see that a lot of states are starting to uh, say, you know what, we're going to open everything. I know, yes. I know Texas um, was one of the first ones that, uh, you know, a, a couple weeks ago when they came out, they were saying that and that sounded really crazy. But now like states like California, for example, the, the governor is uh, trying to stave off his recall. And right. this is this is the move. Open up the theaters. Let's get the sporting events up. Let's get let's get the uh, let's get the gyms back open. And I think that, uh, you know, how, how are things in New York? So I just saw yesterday that the governor it's going to allow restaurants to open up to 50% next week. Mm -hmm. um, although if, you, if you're around the city of New York, you will see restaurants at full capacity. <laughs> mm. Yeah, a lot of them. You'll see them at full capacity, actually, even right now. But um, office space is still largely work from home in the city. Right. Um, there's a few of us. I mean, we are in the office Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Thursday and Friday, we work from home. I'd say way more than 50% of the people I deal with are still working from home. Mm. Still in New York City. Lots of them are in Florida. Right. Which, which I find... Large. It's a very large population. They're still, they're still down in Florida. It's a very large percentage of the New York real estate industry is in Florida. I think most of it temporary, but I think some of it's gonna be long-term. I think some people are gonna get that quality of life, you know, get their kids into a school um, and they may not come back. Hmm. That's really fascinating because um, I'd say earlier on in the pandemic, um, when I was like contemplating working at like a, maybe like a large corporate and I would start going through the application process. A lot of the roles were 
the, the, I guess even the rhetoric around the, the role was, no, this is gonna be a remote position um, until the economy bat opens up. Um, we're not really sure if we're gonna have any in-person needs. And right. I'd say over the last couple of weeks, a lot of that rhetoric has changed. It's like, it's like, no, this is remote for now. The vaccine is here. We're going to be going back to the office. So I think as we really continue down um, this year, we're going to see a lot of that, uh, a lot of those offices start to fill back up in, in some way, shape, or form. What do you think? Right. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm getting coffee invites now. Um, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting. Let's meet up in person one day. Emails and text messages now. Especially in this industry, the real estate industry is kind of a personable thing, right? You have networks and relationships and business relationships. It's an important part of it. Um, especially for, I'd say, the 45 or 50 and older crowd, this Zoom thing isn't really doing it for them. They much, much more prefer in-person meetings to really get to know people. So I think that's going to return. Will it become in mass, like it's all flood back into office space? I don't know about that. Mm. I don't know. I think we figured out at least half the week we don't need to be there. Makes sense. I mean, um, we've been we've been in this pandemic for a year. Like, if we were to do like a quick recap, just to kind of see where we've been before we start thinking about where we're headed to, would that be appropriate? Yes, let's do it. Um, so we know we know that the COVID nineteen recession started around like March of last year, yes. and really Q two we saw economic like activity really collapse right across the country. Um, mm -hmm. I think between March and April, if I'm not mistaken, we lost um, about two point nine million jobs. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, as we kind of progressed throughout the year, really May through December, we added 1.6 million back. So still a lot of like jobless activities really across the country. Um, I guess we still have, you know, as of February, um, we still have a, a net deficit of about 1.2 million jobs from pre-pandemic to now. So there's still, I guess, a lot of room to grow, a lot of runway. And since right. real estate is a lagging industry, how do you think, I guess, when do you think we're gonna start seeing that reflected in these valuations? I think once we start getting trades, you know, people aren't really trading buildings right now. Hmm. Um, it's hard to know what the real rent collection is right now. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's, you know, during the last recession, we had that whole pretend and expense, pretend and extend thing where like there were so many office builders that were behind, but because the banks didn't force them to act, right, they, they had a little time for things to turn around. Um, hopefully, a lot of these office buildings will have some time to turn around to whatever that new normal is. Um, Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because we had like a confluence of factors for um, 
what's happened right with the pandemic. We had a, a variety of individuals that were working in the offices, then all of a sudden offices get shut down, everyone's working from home, but then construction is still an essential activity. So people are building, but then steel and lumber costs started to go up. So our supply chain and logistics got pretty wacky here and there, mm-hmm. but people kept building. So a lot more supply was delivered. Um, not a lot of it was absorbed. I think uh, in Q4 net absorption was like negative 43 million square feet Sheesh. across the entire uh, entire country. I mean, we've and that's the third consecutive quarter that we've had a lot of um, negative absorption. So right. you have all the older product that you know, it's been sitting on the market. Plus you have class A that's kind of figuring itself out in this new environment. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, um, I guess, office product really fares. Maybe we get lucky and we work creates the greatest comeback story of all time. <laughs> Man, I know WeWork's been buying a lot really in South Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody told me the other day that WeWork on South Beach was packed the other day Hmm. um which like sounds foreign because again in new york so many of us are not in the office but then you forget like oh yeah in other states everybody's going to work right every day everybody's going to eat everybody's going shopping everybody's going to restaurants which which is interesting i know we're gonna we're gonna jump into the um 18-hour city later on in our conversation, but um, when we think about really like LA and New York, and you're looking at how these cities have gotten hit really hard. San Francisco, yes, Yes. San Francisco has like I think it's like 52% of their product is on a sublease basis hitting the market, which is going to make new product valuations go down significantly, right? so how do you think how do you think things are going to fare? You know, you bring up a great point with the subleasing. Subleasing is definitely on the rise. Um, again, maybe we were gets lucky and figures it out, man, because that's where they thrive, right? Sign a master lease and chop it up in the itty bitty parts and drive small business into the building. That is their whole business model. So if they can figure out how to drive small business encourage them to come back into the office space and all these buildings that need tenants. Um, They knew how to do it, not they were that profitable, but they definitely drove the people into the building. They drove excitement into coming into office space. Right. So I think smaller business may be the driving force that brings us back in the office space. It's interesting how, um, I guess, like early on in the conversation, how you were talking about the, um, you know, the, the older generation that, that's been part of the real estate industry, just watching how early on in the pandemic, there was a period of, okay, well, I guess this is it. This is survival. So we're going to adapt. We're going to get on Zoom and we're going to have these Zoom meetings. And then after a while, people got Zoomed out. And now it's the point where, I've been hearing a lot 
a lot of conversation of, I can't wait to get back into the office. I can't wait to, you know, right. go back to meetings. I want to put these, put my kids back into schools. Yes. So could be right. The work from home phenomenon that looks so grim and dire early on um, during the pandemic, it sounds like it's not going to be that bad. It'll be some sort of hybrid model from, I guess, what different analysts are saying. I think if you look at the next generation, right, we have a whole generation of 22 years, 23 year olds. This is going to be their expectation. I'm going to work from home one day a week, two days a week, half the week. Right. They're going to walk into a job like, yeah, that's that's the way I need to set things up. Maybe my salary gets priced appropriately. That's the lifestyle I want to live. I don't want to give you five plus days a week physically hmm. in the building. Man, I remember when I started my career off in investment banking and having one day a week off was like a miracle. It's like Saturdays were my day. I remember walking around Manhattan and thinking, this is the greatest. I have, I have an entire day off to myself, plus carrying this Blackberry. And right. nowadays it's like, I, I can't even imagine, you know, what all those investment bankers are doing since all of them are in Florida, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> so... You know, that's, that's what I'm saying, the, the, the office market, I don't think it'll go back to what it used to be, but I think what the, what the next iteration is, um, I think tech industry and small business, I think is gonna really drive that. Understood. So, so when, I, no, I was gonna say like, as, so as we think about that, um, that workforce really returning back into the office. This is gonna really happen in phases, right? We're gonna start seeing pretty much like the first mm -hmm. half of the year, it's gonna be a lot slower. Um, yes. Vaccines are you know, continuing to get rolled out. Yes. Um, President Biden mentioned that, uh, you know, we should have enough vaccines for everyone in the country um, right. by May, right? Is that right? Yeah, I think April or May. They, they April or May. Be widespread. There, I mean, there was that um, that big, um, I guess, joint venture between, you know, Johnson and Johnson and Merck, that really, right. really sped things up. So it's going to be super interesting to see how, um, really, office starts to fare as we start hitting really the second half of this year. Agreed. 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 Um, yeah, I think office, you know, back to what I said a second ago, the tech industry, right? All the stock market again hit all time highs yesterday. Mm. Um, driven largely by, you know, the Tesla, Amazon, Google, Apple <laughs> mountains that are pushing the markets forward. But as as we've been seeing really like the markets are continue to grow, um, where do you think we're gonna see, I guess office space start to recover better? Do you think it's gonna be in, in your uh, central business districts or do you think we're gonna see 
really that recovery faster, really in a you know suburban environment? Mm, I think it'll be balanced. Hmm. I think it'd be about, I don't think either one is going to really take over. I think those are in suburbia. Many of them have made the trade-off already. Like, listen, I'm going to work from home. I got my third room, my fourth room, which is my office. That is a definitive decision I've made. Um, I don't necessarily need to go to a suburban office complex wherever I'm at. But then there's those, as you said, and just can't wait to get back into the city. Um, I can't lie. Right. I kind of miss going. I miss going to networking events after work. Right. I do miss that. That's right. Drinking, drinking by yourself on Zoom. It's not the business. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the business. It's not the business. It's a little problematic. <laughs> drinking, <laughs> drinking at home by yourself in front of a computer screen. It's problematic. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the 18-hour city, 15-minute cities concept, um, which, is a, which is a trend that I think is growing. Right? Sure thing. So, you know, the, the evolution of cities, you know, we've had the, you know, the creation of the elevator, which changed the office space. We've had you know, the highways and byways, which actually expanded the cities. You know, we've had growth of suburbia, which made people go out of the cities. We've had a rebirth of cities with people coming back into cities. Um, and one of the concepts that's becoming popular right now, which is this 18 hour city concept, um, kind of high level, what are your kind of initial thoughts on the concept? Um, so I've lived, I lived in uh, Salt Lake City probably about 10 years ago and watching that market just explode over the last decade has been really fascinating. Um, one thing that I really loved about living in an 18 hour city like that was um, really the access to, you know, low cost living, you know, the, the better lifestyle that you really had versus being in a congested metro. Um, it was very different because I had moved from New York City to Salt Lake. So it was a completely different experience. And then many years later, I did an even more extreme move where I moved from New York City to what would be a 15 minute city, a small rural town in central Washington. And it was really fascinating on one hand to, to be in these like lower cost markets. Um, but on the other hand, I did miss the access to like world-class institutions and, you know, the different conversations you would have with individuals and, in, you know, your call it downtown Los Angeles, you know, midtown Manhattan versus middle of the country, USA. Right. Right. Um, you know, I was at a luncheon, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And uh, there was this gentleman there from a family office, very wealthy. And he was like, yeah, we're spending all our efforts in the Nashville. And I was like, Nashville? Why would you do that? You got like all the money you could possibly need and you're here. Why would you do that? And he, was, he ran down the whole list of metrics, the cost of living, the job growth, 
the average cost of a home, the average cost. He knew like all of it. He was just reading them off to me. Um, and he saw what I didn't see yet, which was the growth of some of these secondary markets. And Nashville, as we all know now, is one of the fastest growing cities in America um, for all the reasons that I just listed. So this kind of concept that, yeah, yes, we all know the, the sexiness of, you know, London, New York, Paris, right, LA, all these like global centers and all the like benefits of culture and food and employment, high paying employment, um, but they're really expensive and they're not really sustainable for most people. Um, so this kind of concept that other cities can get some of these characteristics, I think is, is quite fascinating that it's, it's a less intense version of the global centers. Um, so yes, you can have arts and culture in Nashville and Austin that we now see as a city that has been on the come up for years now, right? They've had South by Southwest, which has been a cultural icon. Um, and it's been a vibrant city, but like now we're really seeing like, oh, like all those things that you liked about big cities, we can create that in smaller settings, which are less expensive, less intense. It's it's really fascinating to see really what's happening also in the Carolinas, mm -hmm. right? For the for that same reason, right? Lower cost of living, very resilient demand, um, mm -hmm. great demographic and population growth, and yes. yeah, it's uh, yes. it's, it's going to be interesting to see how um, I guess this really plays out over the long term as we start to uh, I guess maybe decouple from these like larger uh, gateway markets and find our way towards these like smaller cities. Carolinas are a good one. Very highly educated population in the Carolinas, North and South. Um, you know, Charlotte, you know, Charlottesville, all those cities over there, like they got, there's a lot of good things going, low cost of land, low cost of construction. Um, so the barrier of entry is much lower than if you're trying to buy a home in LA right, San Francisco, it's a fortune <laughs> to purchase a home. That the average 24-year-old, 25-year-old, it's just unimaginable the amount of money you have to save to get there. Absolutely. And I guess, I guess you know, we can, it, it's easier to make the case for why going to, you know, these smaller cities. But what do you think, um, what do you think is the benefit for staying in one of these, you know, larger cities? So I tell folks personally, you know, this current downturn has hurt a lot of people and that's like a real thing, right? A lot of businesses are either gone out of business or in dire need at this current moment. But in the grand scheme of things, real estate is cyclical. And that part of the cyclical part is there's balance that it just can't go up forever, that it has to come down a little bit create a little value, create some upside, create interest to do more investing, right? You sell, you invest, you sell, you invest. Um, so in New York, you know, we pretty much have gone like 11 years in the positive direction um, that we actually needed a little balance. We needed to pull back a little bit. So people say, you know, the rent is too damn high in New York. Well, here you go. Rent hasn't been this cheap in the Upper East Side in a decade. Rent hasn't been this cheap in lower Manhattan in over a decade. 
So I think for cities, right, this has created some balance. So some of the intensity that used to be here has spread out. You know, I jokingly said about Florida, but there's a lot of people from lower Manhattan that have gone to warmer cities, lower density cities that's created space. So now, you know, those of us who want to stay in the city, you got more options, you got better options. Your dollar can go further. Right. So in the global cores, I'm a big long-term believer, but I think for these secondary markets, I think the growth is real. What's been going on in Atlanta has been amazing. Atlanta's had significant growth. Um, and part of what they're doing is right. It isn't just all around a certain core, but they got, you know, this Buckhead thing, they got the uptown thing, right? Tyler Perry's got the thing south of the city, right? It's got all these little nodes of things going on in this whole little world, not necessarily 15 minutes because the roads are kind of crazy, but <laughs> they got, <laughs> Atlanta is a big market, but it has sub markets that have their own kind of attraction to them. Which I guess that's that's really interesting. I guess that kind of brings up the um, that 15 minute city concept. Like, I guess in one way, shape or form really, um, you know, I guess those, like Buckhead, for example, is like, it's its own 15 minute city compared to mm -hmm. um, other parts of Atlanta, right? Exactly, exactly. Buckhead, for example, for those who don't know, it's a it's a submarket neighborhood in Atlanta. Um, has single family houses, but it also has like a food and, and and beverage district. It's got hotels. It's got office space. It's got kind of all that in its own little world right there. Um, it's got a, a train stop that's in the city that goes straight to the airport, goes to downtown. So that's what I'm saying. Like this can be done, and there's certain cities that it's already being done. So trying to replicate that, I think, is a smart idea for some of these cities that have space and have land, um, that this is a way to grow, that all right, our suburbia isn't just housing, but our suburbia will have food and beverage, hotel space, you know, it'll have entertainment space, schools, right? All the things you need to do work, live, play within your own community. And I think what, what makes the, the 15 minute city so attractive is just the access to, um, I guess, all those different amenities, right? But at the same time, you could, you could bike everywhere and, you know, you'd be able to get to places a lot quicker. You're not so reliant on, you know, sitting in a car and, um, right. yeah, and that, that's fascinating to see how like, you know, really public transportation is a huge factor in being able to bring all these things together. Yes. So I guess how yes. how do you how do you justify um, a city, for example, <clears throat> spending so much on um, investing in public infrastructure, knowing that all these secondary and tertiary benefits are going to come from that, but you're probably going to lose money from that original investment. Yes. In America over, I don't know, the last hundred years, investing in infrastructure has been a money losing situation. Although in the long run, it does make your city better. Um, it has historically been a money losing proposition. Florida is still trying to get their thing going. There's a train going from Miami to Orlando, right. um, and from Orlando to Jacksonville, and from Orlando to Tampa. They've been working on that for over a decade. 
maybe 15 years now trying to like get that concept going of connecting the state um, and a more efficient way of getting around. Um, I don't know, it takes political will and hopefully long-term vision. And a lot of capital, right? Lots and lots of capital, which again, you know, since basically Rockefeller, we haven't really encouraged the creation of trades in America. We haven't. I guess. Do you think? Um, do you think we're we're going to be seeing that during this administration? A return to know. pushing people into electrical and plumbing and these trades that you know they they do make money, especially you know, over the long right. term, you can take those skills to any single market that you want. And, you know, there's demand there. I think in the first two years, Biden's got room to like potentially pick an initiative and make it happen. After two years, I don't know. I don't know if he mm. loses the House of the Senate, it's a crapshoot from that point forward. Um, it'll be a dogfight after that. But I think, you know, I actually just saw something earlier where the federal government told Houston that they can't do this highway expansion um, that was gonna expand into a black community. Um, I do think the Biden administration is gonna be actively involved in infrastructure projects in America. Um, will they get enough money from Senate to fund large scale investment? I don't know. The smart thing to do would be to create some sort of public-private investment vehicle where KKR, Blackstone, right, figures out how to make money front-loading the costs and, you know, subbing it out and getting local contractor participation with government oversight. That would be a smart thing to do. But we shall see if he gets enough support to do it. Makes sense. Um, I mean, really, though, I guess the way of the future really will be through these like P3 models. And I think a lot of cities are are starting to uh, to really see the benefit of that. Yes, yes, yes. And I think, you know, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how Tesla works it out with Texas and being attracted to that state. And, and will that state work to make the green business model? you know, as profitable and as welcome as they do, you know, the historical, you know, oil business, right? And as they've been, you know, working with the wind business, the solar business and the wind business for a number of years. So it'd be very interesting to see if they encourage that and become a big hub for that type of energy creation. Because they get a lot of sun in Texas, right? So like, will they give Tesla the space to like really make a massive imprint on it, which would be a big job creator. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, cool. Well, this is a great conversation, my man, as always. Thank you. Appreciate it. This was uh, very insightful. Appreciate your points. Yes, sir. Ditto. Ditto. I look forward to the next one. Looking forward to it. All right. Till next time. All right. Till next time. Take care.